I wonder how many times in a day I ask myself the question, what's next? What's next? Sometimes it's looking at my to-do list and checking off those beautiful boxes. Sometimes I add things to the list just so I can check them off. Sometimes it's in the context of a relationship. What's next? Date night? Or sometimes it's in the context of vocation and ministry or work. What's next? Retirement? What's next? It's a question that I think we ask ourselves quite often. And there are only a few stories of the risen Christ and the disciples. In fact, the gospel according to Mark, its original ending, has nothing to say about the risen Christ. In the gospels of Matthew and Luke, we find sometimes that the disciples are hiding. In the gospel of John, the disciples go fishing. But here today, I like to imagine that the disciples are hiking. The gospel says they're traveling, but I prefer hiking, going from Jerusalem to Emmaus, talking and wondering about all these things that they have seen. They wonder aloud who Jesus is and what his death might mean. And lucky for them, the best person to explain all these things comes to them. The risen Christ himself appears on the trail and begins to interpret his own ministry with the scriptures. And still, it is only as they break bread together that they fully understand that Christ is alive. The Lord has risen indeed. It is significant that Jesus is fully revealed at a meal, a meal reminiscent of the Last Supper. Indeed, the only other time Jesus breaks bread in this particular way is at the feeding of the 5,000. Now, I am confident that Jesus shared a lot of meals with his disciples in the crowd, but it is these three meals that Luke makes sure we know about and connect to one another. At each of these meals, something happens. Christ is revealed to them. Perhaps they wondered, what next? Now, this could be the end of the story. The risen Christ appears to the disciples. But the writer of the Acts of the Apostles is not content with that ending. There is more. And we know that the gospel according to Luke and Acts of the Apostles had the same authorship, written at around the same time, for a widespread Gentile community. Together, these two books form a companion to Paul's own letters. They are, though, more than a history or a timeline of the early church. They offer us guidance as the early church seeks to establish its practices and community. But most of all, it is their theology. The theology that creates a silver thread of God's salvific work across time. 
Now, last week we began a section of Acts that includes the first of four speeches by Peter. I was, I was contemplating this. I thought, I hope that my first sermon is gone away somewhere, that it does not appear someday in some book about the early practices of the church in the 20th century. I imagine if Peter thought that his first sermon was written down in a book 2,000 years later, I wonder what he would think about that. But what we know for certain is that these four speeches cover Peter's theology and the theology of the early church. Here is how God acted in light of the past and with hope of the future. This particular sermon interprets the Pentecost event. You might know that moment as the moment when the Holy Spirit appeared as a tongue of fire over the heads of the disciples, empowering their witness in a variety of language to the whole crowd, a witness of God's deeds of power across time and history. Now, we have a few weeks before we celebrate Pentecost, but these readings are given to us to prepare us for this moment. But our readings from Acts are a little deceiving, I don't think this is on purpose. I think this is a way for the lectionary to sort of slowly give us this whole sermon from Peter. But unless you've memorized all of Acts 2 or recently studied it, it's not terribly fair. You see today between verse 14, which is today's first verse, and verse 36, which is today's second verse in that reading, Peter says a whole lot. And we heard it last week at church. So if you were lucky enough to hear it and you remember it, strong work. And I could invite us to open up the Bibles that are in your pew and we could read it together. But I want you to come back. You can study it on your own. It's Acts chapter 2. I'm asking you to trust me. I'm going to tell you what Peter says in his sermon. Peter is looking to convert the crowd of witnesses who think that perhaps the disciples are a little drunk on wine. How else would they have been able to speak in all these languages? Peter wants them to know that indeed they are not drunk, that they've been baptized by the Spirit. And he begins to witness to them about Christ. He says, we know that Christ is an agent of God, that Christ belongs to God because of all the deeds of power and wonders and signs that God did through him. Jesus is the agent of God's work among them. And it is not enough, Peter says, that Jesus' life is revealed through these works of power, but God raised him up, having freed him from death because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. In other words... Christ's agency is God's final work of salvation. Through his life, death, and resurrection, all of creation, all of it, each one of us, our friends, our neighbors, even our enemies, receive new life. Well, now we've caught up to today's reading. What I noticed is this movement that's happened. In Luke's gospel, it is the disciples who are confused and lack understanding, and it is the risen Christ who witnesses to them about himself. Today, 
in the Acts of the Apostles, it is Peter and the other disciples who take this ministry upon themselves. They are the agents of the gospel. They are the witnesses of Christ. Moreover, people attend to their witness. Some are amazed and perplexed. Those listening to Peter are cut to the heart. Now, does that sound familiar? If we go back to the Emmaus reading, we hear the disciples say, were not our hearts burning within us? It seems to me that this is some kind of sign of conversion or change that's happening from the inside out. For the disciples, this is a growing understanding of Christ's ongoing agency in the world. And for the crowd listening to Peter, their life is changing. It is significant that Peter chooses baptism as the next right thing for the crowd. What do we do next, they say? Peter says, repent and be baptized. And here he takes on the ministry of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the last prophet who said, if you want to prepare for Christ in your life, repent and be baptized. And here, Peter establishes this rite for the whole church. Maybe he is remembering Jesus' own baptism, or maybe he's still reveling in Pentecost, his own baptism by fire. Most likely, baptism was already an established practice in the church. Now, the church gives it authority from the preaching of Peter, Christ's first apostle commends to us baptism as a sacrament, a revelation of conversion. Now this could be the end of the story. But we know that it is the beginning. Another moment in our journey. The people ask what's next, and community is formed. A community shaped by baptism the sharing of bread and prayer, a community that still gathers today, a community that still wonders, what next? We inherit all of the ministry described in these scriptures. Indeed, we read the same ones interpreted by the risen Christ. We follow Christ's ministry of mercy, grace, and love, We gather around a similar meal, as described in Luke's gospel. And we carry on baptizing those who come to Christ in faith, welcoming them into this community. These are ancient practices, and they root our discipleship, and they make us agents of Christ's ministry. When we wonder... What's next? Christ shows us the way. I wonder, are our hearts burning within us? Are we being changed and converted from within? Gosh, I hope so. Praying and studying these scriptures and sharing this meal has the incredible potential to inspire us, 
something happens and we come close to the mysteries of the incarnation and resurrection and Christ's ministry begins to erode our judgments, our selfish desires, our indifference, our fears, our concerns, our worries. What's next? Every day we can receive new life and become agents of Christ's ministry. What's next? Studying scripture, saying our prayers. What's next? Sharing this holy table and inviting others to come and join us. What's next? Following Christ into the world with a ministry of love, grace, and mercy for all our neighbors. May God give us the strength and courage to do so.